The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to the Acme Packing Company podcast feed. I'm Justice Mosqueda. This is Intercepted. We are probably not going to talk a lot about the Los Angeles Rams in this one. Um, Usually I have fans of an opposing team on or or beat writers or whatever to kind of preview the upcoming game. Kind of think the Packers are battling themselves as much as they are battling an opponent at this point. So I'd rather do a deep dive into kind of everything that's happened in Green Bay over the past week. Um, I'm joined here by John Meerdink, who contributes at, at APC, obviously, and then has his own podcast for the Power Suite, Blue 58. Um, great podcast. He has a great voice. Say what's up to people, John. <laughs> hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. We were just joking off air. I'm like, I'm shocked this is the first time we've recorded a podcast in the three years that I've been at APC. Yeah, it's surprising that we've just never it we've had chances it just hasn't come together. Yeah. I think I subbed for you once on the repack or what whatever the version of the repack was back when Zach Rappaport hosted it after the game, but that, I think that's been about it. Well, I want to get into all of the stories that have come out or at least tried to um out of the past week. I think we got to start first and foremost with the Gary extension just in terms of the timeline of how things kind of broke down. I'm going to do some capital J journalism here and kind of explain uh, what's been happening behind the scenes. Cause I've known a little bit. I haven't been allowed to talk a lot about it. Um, from my understanding, Gary's representation had taken multiple trips to green Bay throughout the season, including during the bye week they really wanted to get a contract done. Um, what ended up being a sticking point was whether or not Gary was or was not going to get more or less money than the Joey Bosa contract, which was signed, I believe, in 2020. Um, so we're not talking about top of the market type of deals in terms of the ask from Gary's camp. He wasn't asking for what money. He wasn't asking for uh, who is the other big one? Nick, Nick Bosa, the other, you know, Bosa brother. Um, he was asking closer to what Joey Bosa got. And I think that that was very reasonable. Um, if you look at kind of how the edge market popped out, really there's this split between kind of that Joey Bosa money and then Bradley Chubb, who's making, I think he's making 22 per mm-hmm. and Trey Hendrickson, who's making 21 per. Um, I think this is the number that made the most sense all around. 
Well, can I just pause you for a second when you say, because I think this is something there hasn't been much clarity about when you say Gary's representation, what does that mean exactly? Because he's talked kind of like he's his own agent basically since he came <laughs> out, but he's not really, is he? No, 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 no. He has um, representation. He has a guy who's NFLPA certified to work on contracts. I believe I, I, so this is the part that I don't know. I know he has a sports agency. Um, that he created. I don't know if they represent any other players. From my understanding, the guy who represents Gary has only previously done one other contract um, that's been registered by the NFLPA. And that was Rashawn Gary's rookie contract. So yeah, he he has, you know, a guy with a legal background who's representing him in, in these negotiations. It's not actually, you know, Gary sitting across the table from, you know, uh, Russ Ball or Brian Gutekunst and and saying like, hey, this is kind of my demands. I think that's an important distinction, but it's it's less funny to think about than Rashawn sitting there after practice, you know, still in his <laughs> gear. Like, okay, Russ, this is what I'm thinking. Um, I wrote a article for APC earlier this week called "The Packers Contract Extension of Rashawn Gary's Rear Win Win," where I kind of talked about you know the the comparisons to like the Bosa contract and stuff like that. the The big thing that you're going to want to look at. We're we're at the point with NFL analysis of contracts and stuff like that where you don't need to be scared of any sort of ticket price that comes in the first wave of the reporting, right? Hmm. What really matters is how much money is this guy getting in the first year, three years of this contract. And we're also at the point where I don't know if new money is as big of a deal as those first three years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people talk about new money, new money, new money, which is like the actual forty-year extension, right? But right. Gary's on a five-year contract. Um, Gary is going to end up earning sixty-five point five million dollars in the first three years of his deal. Sounds like a tremendous amount of money, more money than I will ever see. Probably anyone in my family will ever see, right? Nick Bosa got ninety. 8.6 million tj watt got 80.6 so when you're talking about that kind of gulf between the bosa and the watt contract and everyone else that's kind of where gary fits in he didn't really push the market forward for the bosa or watt contract bosa uh, made 66.3 million over his first three years of the contract gary gets just underneath that um but getting just underneath that and fitting in between Joey Bosa and Bradley Chubb, who again, $22 million per year, Gary was never going to get less than that. Um, I, I think this is about as good of a number as the Packers could have realistically asked for. Looking at it a little bit from Gary's perspective, the question I have is, is where does he slot in like a year from now? Because it's good that he got for the Packers. I think that he got his deal done now. What I wonder is where he ends up slotting in after we see what Brian Burns is going to get and Montez Sweat is going to get because they were the next two edges off the board. Burns went 16th, Montez Sweat goes 26th, and he has the Bears right where he wants them right now. Yeah. So what are they going to get? Do you have any read on that or or where they could slot in? I think if you're Sweat, you have to ask for the Bradley Chubb contract, I think. The, the The thing with Sweat is... I don't think he's in the same tier as a Rashawn Gary, but you, you have a lot of leverage in that, you know, you only have a half a year um, under contract with the bears. They have to hit you with a, 
uh, salary or a uh, 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 franchise tag. Um, if they hit you with a franchise tag, it's a lot of money in terms of the cap space up front. Um, I would assume that's in the $24 million. I haven't necessarily checked it out or, you know, whether the bears are calling them a defensive end or outside linebacker, mm-hmm. right? We know how, how tricky that stuff can get. Um, but if I'm sweat, I probably say I want the Bradley Chubb money. Um, and don't sign unless I get that. And that's probably an overpay. Um, but if he hits the market, he'll probably get something in that range. He, this, this is the other thing that doesn't get talked about enough, particularly at the trade deadline. All these teams are doing the work um, in terms of looking at next year's draft class, next year's free agent class, all that stuff. Next year's draft class is not good from an edge rusher perspective. Um, I'm going to have something. I'll probably run it next Tuesday if you guys want to keep an eye out for that on where the positions are strong and weak in the draft class based off of like the consensus draft board and where players are slated to be picked and how that uh, relates uh, relative to historical numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Versus talked about very well. Um, he's fifth on the consensus draft board right now. I don't think he's going to go that high. Um, Latu, the kid out of UCLA has a neck injury and he's ranked eighth. I mean, this is a guy who's already had to medically retire. So I think he's a pretty big wild card. Dallas Turner, I think is like more of a designated pass rusher, mm-hmm. who I think is good. He's the kid out of Alabama. Those guys are all projected to go in the top 10. We'll see if verse and Latu actually go there. I would probably bet Turner is the best bet to be like a lock and then after that there's only three more guys within the top 90 on the consensus draft board is chop robinson who i think is pretty overrated to be honest um tuimo oh, i can't even say his name i don't want to butcher it the jt no, the Ohio yeah. state kid <laughs> right uh he he has great games against penn state um don't know if the traits are really there and then braylon trice who i actually think it's probably underrated, um, doesn't get enough credit because he plays out on the West Coast right now. The kid from Washington, um, mm-hmm. he kind of reminds me of like a Derek Barnett type of guy. But if you're saying like, you know, Trice, Derek Barnett type of guy or verse is potentially, you know, edge two, edge three in this draft class. It's a whole lot different than last year, right, where you were able to get a Lucas Van Ness, you know, at right. 12 or whatever it was. So um, I think teams probably look forward and I I didn't I didn't hate the Bears trade for Sweat until he came out and said like hey I'm going to wait to sign a contract and you saw Chase Young get traded for a third from the Bears perspective I this is I a team get that, it right Yeah I mean this is a team that you know those guys are going to be on the hot seat even if Ryan Poles does does make it through um you know, the draft and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't just sit on your hands and just say, yeah, we're just going to be bad at the edge rush because we didn't find hashtag value. Like at some point you're going to have to call your shot. And I kind of understand the sweat thing. Sooner or later, you got to pay somebody, right? I mean, right. You, you've got to have 53 football players on Sunday. So cap space is great to have, but you got to, you got to burn it sooner or later. It does. They did. It does seem like they maybe played themselves a little bit, but you, you got to have some guys who can play too. Yeah. And to your point, I think this Gary extension is going to start looking pretty good. Um, once, once these guys do end up signing deals, right. Um, even, you know, we'll see what like a guy like Uche or something like that ends up getting, um, in free agency. 
uh, kind of like the Elton Jenkins deal, right? The Elton Jenkins mm-hmm. deal already like looks like a steal, even though you know we're in year one of that extension. Um, the next thing I want to talk about the Rasul Douglas trade. Man, what a gut punch, right? It ah, oh, it it's so we talked about this like the selling of this in the locker room a lot in the the APC Slack space, and it's one of those things that really. It it stinks as a fan because Rasul is fun to have around. He's a fun player. He makes big plays. He talks I mean, like he backs up what he says he's going to do by saying like he'll tell you when he's good and he'll tell you when he's bad. So he's an awesome guy to have around. But also, I think from an organizational perspective, this is a winning move in that it helps you get draft capital, but it also is kind of sending in a way a positive message long-term to your team. Like, look, we're, it doesn't make any sense for Rasul Douglas, the person to sit here and languish for the rest of this year and probably next year. Why don't we just put you on a life raft and send you off to Buffalo or wherever if since they came calling? It stinks because you run the risk of maybe souring the locker room. Like, well, if, if Rasul isn't going to be here anymore and he's he's our leader – well, we might as well pack it in. But I think there is a way that you sit there as Brian Gutekunst and say, no, this is me actually helping Rasul. And I'll I'll try to do right by you if the situation comes up again. But man, it does. It is a kick in the teeth just because of losing Rasul and losing what he means to, to the defense because he's so much fun and he's actually he's played well this year too. Yeah. And uh, you just have to look at how the defensive backs reacted to the, to the news to let you know how much Rasul meant to that locker room, right? Keyshawn Nixon been very vocal. Um, Chair said that he didn't know about the trade until he showed up the next day. Shout out to, uh, shout out to Jair, just unplugging. Yeah. Uh, Zen mode all the time, just meditating. Um, That's work-life balance right there. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, tough situation. Honestly, I'm going to be rooting for the bills moving forward in the AFC, like the Packers are going to make the playoffs. So like, at least I have someone fun to root for. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, now that Jamal isn't really on a contender, Jamal Williams was mm-hmm. kind of my, like he's my, he was my second team for a while, a little bit. The Lions were pretty fun too. Um, thought a couple interesting things were said by Goot um, in his, you know, post uh, post trade deadline uh, presser, you know, the only in season presser that he has during the year. Um, one of them was that he kind of wanted to be a little bit more of a buyer than a seller. Um, but he said, you know, the the hashtag value didn't end up panning out. I think a lot of that ends up coming back to the running back position, which is something, you know, Jake Laser had reported that the the Browns, the Ravens, and the Packers were still involved in running back conversations. I think some of that has to do with again, um, you know, looking, uh, th- these guys are all doing work on the draft right now, right? Like mm-hmm. they're sending all their scouts out. They they are beginning to kind of build out those boards. Um, on the consensus draft board right now, there is one running back who is <laughs> slated to be picked in the first 75 selections in this upcoming draft. It's Travion Henderson, who is currently dealing with an injury right now. Yeah, um, yeah. So that kind of gives you an idea of what the landscape is going to look like moving forward in terms of the draft picks. I wanted to actually unpack the the idea of Gutekunst being a buyer here with you a little bit, because I think if you're on the optimized draft capital, you know, kind of analytics bandwagon, 
being a buyer doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense from that perspective. And especially when you start talking about, you know, being in the, 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 the market for a running back, the initial reaction is, wait a second. And you and I were laughing about this off air. It, it's funny to picture Brian Gutekunst sitting there in, in his office, you know, staring at the roster, seeing how the Packers have played here through two months and going, you know, what is the real problem we got to look at here? It's, it's running back. If we just get it back, we're going to solve everything here. But that's not really what it's about. As you're saying, he's, he's looking long term. And it, if you could get somebody who'd be under contract for next year too, possibly, there is a way that it can make sense to be a buyer. Is that kind of what you're getting at when, when you look at the whole scope here? Yeah. And I, the other thing too is there has been a lot of talk about running backs being undervalued. Right. And I think we're getting to the point where, you know, the hashtag analytics guys might end up starting to agree with that, with how efficient the run game is becoming at the NFL level. A lot of that has been because these running backs are just getting franchise tagged. Um, I don't know how valuable, viable, not valuable. Um, sorry, I kind of mumble mouth a little bit. Um, that is going to be moving forward because there's going to be so many running backs that mm-hmm. are slated to hit this 2024 open market if they don't get tagged, right? So we're talking about Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, uh, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard. Who knows what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook? I don't think he's going to end up resetting the market by any means there, though. Um, probably Austin not. Eckler. Uh, those are probably the big names. Um, probably not missing anyone, I don't think. I don't think so. Plus, you're talking about potentially Aaron Jones having a $17 million cap hit next season, right? And what happens with that situation? Um, I kind of understand wanting to secure the position moving forward because of the uncertainty of what is veteran pay going to look like, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do we just want to like trade for a guy, sign him in this market before the market starts exploding, right? That's something we saw with like the Devontae deal, for example, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, the wide receiver market exploded right when he was becoming a free agent. They were like, whoa, 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 hold up. Oh, dang, this kind of got out of hand. On top of that, DeAndre Hopkins had his wacky contract a couple of years prior right. too, and that was supposed to be the, like the starting point for how and and everything. I, I think even people were looking at that prior to the 2021 season and thinking, well, there's no way like that contract is an outlier. But then in the intervening time, things go bananas, and suddenly it doesn't look crazy. It's probably not a great deal, but it, it still resets the market in a way that you have to respond. And by that point, it was it yeah. seemed like it was too late. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't know if, you know, the Christian McCaffrey deal is going to be that for the running back market. I know that's the one where it's like, yeah, no one's really willing to pay close to that money. So that's why all these guys are getting tagged. Um, It'll be interesting. I mean, just keep an eye out on that. It's something you should keep in mind moving forward, because I think if Green Bay is going to spend money in free agency, I wouldn't be surprised if it came, you know, with a running back. Do you have a running back in mind who you would actually pay? So I've got I've got Spot Track pulled up. Their top six or seven guys are Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler, Cordero Patterson. I know a longtime favorite of yours, probably not in their plans for twenty twenty four. I would guess. Gus he's, Edwards. He's been a healthy scratch a couple times for Atlanta. As, I know. And it's, Turner. it's it's a bummer. We're at the end of an era there for a really fun guy, but. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is more than a year younger than Derrick Henry. Is there anybody who 
I don't want to say excites you there, but anybody you'd spend money on. Saquon is interesting. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a former number two pick, um, has played behind pretty terrible offensive lines. I think he's more of an every down back than Jones is, but he could still do some of the, for lack of a better term, playmaking type of stuff that Jones mm-hmm. can do on the edge. Um, he can pa- he can catch the ball. I think Pollard and Eckler are probably closer to what Aaron Jones is in terms of like guys who probably need to be on a pitch count, but can give you some high level stuff on the edge. I think Barkley's more of an every down guy. And then, you know, LaFleur wax poetic about what Josh Jacobs can bring to the table. And he has a history with Derrick Henry. He was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. So I, yeah, I'm not surprised that they're involved in this running back market that's coming up. I mean, a, a lot of them mm-hmm. seem like good fits, right? Yeah. I think Barkley is kind of interesting that you bring him up because the Packers were at least in theory interested in Jonathan Taylor. If you look around the NFL, who's the running back that's probably the most similar to Taylor? I mean, Barkley, there's a lot of overlap there, I think. It's, it's yeah. a big physical back. He's supposed to be explosive. He he does those kind of things. I don't know, maybe you're onto something. Yeah. And we'll we'll see what it's like moving forward. I mean, the the big thing with the Giants that if you want to be a fan of, you know, Saquon coming to Green Bay, um, the big thing with the Giants is going to be what do they do with that Daniel Jones contract? Are they going to be bad enough where they're picking a quarterback? Are they going to eat the Daniel Jones deal in terms of the cap hit, you know, the signing bonus, um, the dead cap? And then if they do trade Daniel Jones away mm-hmm. because he has guaranteed salary remaining on that contract, are they going to have to eat some of that money? Right. And if they're mm-hmm. they're taking on all that cap space just to get rid of Jones and transition to either, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams, the only two quarterbacks I think that are like really in the running, um, at the tippy top of the draft at least. Um, is there gonna be money left to then pay Saquon or tag him for a second time in a row when the tag, you know, you you add a twenty percent on top of what it was the previous season, um, if you're hitting a guy with the second tag. So I, I think those are legitimate conversations to have right now. And I think that's maybe one reason why Goot was looking at these guys and saying like, Hey, maybe we should just go target these guys now instead of waiting. There were a couple other things that Gutekunst mentioned that I think we probably should talk about. Uh, the one I, that... I just want to hit this thing real quick. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Before, before we switch out. Zadarius Smith is a good example. Uh, oh yeah. 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 The, the team trying to target a guy at the trade deadline previously not landing him and then signing him in free agency, right? Goot had said previously that I think two separate seasons, the Packers tried to trade for Zadarius Smith, who at that point was, I don't know if you want to call him a rotational guy. Um, he had a pretty defined role in uh, Baltimore's defense. He was really playing on the interior more than he was playing on the edge, um, but he was getting a ton of snaps there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they tried to trade for him two previous seasons, doesn't work out. He hits free agency. The Packers sign him. I could see that type of a situation playing out for a guy like Saquon or Josh Jacobs. Yeah. We'll find out, I guess, in, in March. It'll Those guys are going to go fast when they hit the market, you'd think, just given the names that they are. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. 
Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right. What, what were your points? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Gutekunst had a couple other things. Um, and one that I, I was just watching, I had a meeting that I was only half paying attention to prior to this. Uh, but you got in a little bit of hot water tweeting out a clip of what was supposed to be Josh Walker or Rashid Walker getting smoked on a pass rush. Yeah. And you, you got some interesting attention on that one. But uh, in the presser this week, Brian Gutekunst went out of his way a couple times to talk about how well he thought the offensive line was playing. Both Josh Myers and Rasheed Walker. I mean, you've looked at the tape. What do you think? Josh Myers, assess. Um, I think some of the plays that he gets heat for on game day, once you watch it from, you know, the end zone angle, you're like, oh, that was John Runyon going the wrong direction and stuff like that. Um, I still don't think he's been having a great season um i frankly don't even know if the whole he's playing the best ball of his career thing tracks um i don't know if it's a position that they would be willing to challenge this this upcoming off season just based off of how they've talked about him walker is an interesting one to me i've never really been on the Walker bandwagon. I know the pass protection numbers, like the first two starts, I think it is. Um, if the Lions game was week four, then the first two starts in his career, you know, the pass protection numbers were good, but he never really seemed to be as consistent of a blocker as mm-hmm. Nyman. I think their hope was just always like, man, if we can get a starting tackle with a sixth or, or a seventh round pick, um, that would go a long way in terms of developing this team. I think they just kind of pulled the ripcord after that sack that uh, he gave up with chip help from AJ Dillon against a wide nine guy. Um, I think it was second drive against the Vikings. Um, a- after that, I think they were just like, you know what? Let's stop kind of thinking about the future. We got to start winning some ball games. Nyman is the more consistent guy. He's got to play. I'm going to throw a name at you. Uh, how plugged were how plugged in were you to the 2005 Green Bay Packers? I would have been a sixth grader. Okay, um. <laughs> because there was another big-bodied offensive lineman from a Big Ten school that the Packers threw out there just because they kind of had to. Will Whitaker uh, was a seventh-round pick in the spring in 2005. He ended up starting 14 games for the Packers that year, and then never played another NFL snap in his life. Uh, <laughs> I kind of wonder, and I've, I've thought about this a few times, if Walker is kind of ends up being the same guy. It's not a one-to-one comparison because they had him on the roster all year last year. But with Bakhtiari out, 
maybe with Nyman probably not coming back next year, maybe they just thought yeah. we've got to have somebody there. Let's try something. And then maybe this is it for him. You never know because they, you got to put five out there. So I, I, I just, I'm sure this isn't the last that we've seen of Walker. Um, at the very least, it seems like at least for the remainder of his rookie contract, he's going to be probably a swing tackle for the team. Mm-hmm. Right. If, you know, even if, uh, you know, whatever happens with the Bakhtiari situation. I, I don't even want to prognosticate that right now. Um, but moving forward, I mean, if the Packers have a high draft pick in this upcoming class, the position that makes the most sense for them to target, because we we talked about, right, there, there are three guys who are projected to go top 10 for the edge mm-hmm. rusher position um, in this upcoming class. I don't know if actually, you know, all three of them are going to go in that range, but that's where people have them right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to move into the top two for those two quarterbacks. That doesn't leave you with many options for blue chip type of guys at the top of the draft. And the position that is deep um, at the top of the draft in terms of those blue chip guys is offensive tackle. You know, uh, Shanu from Penn State, Joel Alt from Notre Dame, Latham from Alabama, and then Mims is kind of the wild card, the kid out of Georgia. He's Mm -hmm. really only played a couple of high-level teams because they put him into the lineup late um i think his first start was actually against ohio state in the Mm. playoff and then he's been hurt this year he's having uh he had some sort of uh i believe it was high ankle sprain type of surgery um so he'll probably be ready by the time the playoff or sec championship game and stuff starts rolling around at the end of this year but he doesn't have a lot of film those are the four guys at the top of the draft class that I think if we're making bets today, I'm like 75% sure. I'm like, this is probably going to be a tackle. If the I, team is picking, you know, top 10 and they're not going to be picking in the top two. Right. Yeah. That's kind of where I would lean to just because the value, and you were talking about draft pick value the other day too. The value just seems to be there for what the Packers need. And yeah if if you're a trust the board guy and Gutekunst seems to be that to a fault, I mean, that's what he's always said about Jordan Love, even that it was a board pick as much as anything else. You can believe him or not believe him on that, but he, he says he trusts the board and he's going to try to get value. The only other outside guy looking in, um, well, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. obviously is a great wide receiver. They, they're probably going to have to pick top three to get him. I would assume Harrison mm-hmm. is going to be the third guy. Um, you know, the two quarterbacks and then Harrison, that's kind of how I see the draft playing out right now. The the other guy who I think is interesting beyond the tackles and is why I'm holding on to that last 25%, Keon Coleman from Florida State. He's a contested catch guy, um, big body receiver. We know the Packers love that. He was also Jaden Reed's teammate at uh Michigan State this mm-hmm. this past season, not this year. He transferred to Florida State this year, and he's having a great season with them. Um I kind of think he would fit in well with Green Bay's kind of deficiencies right now, right? Where they're like, we cannot win at the catch point outside of just spamming Romeo Dobbs and just hoping that he comes down with like a third of them, right? Like maybe right. Leon Coleman can kind of alleviate some of that pain. Right. Yeah, I just got to wait and see at this point. I Maybe things really go south in these last 10 games, but they've got 10 games to look at who they've got, so... We'll figure it out, I guess. One interesting thing, um, speaking of the offensive line, Goot said that Bakhtiari has some decisions to make moving forward. 
Do you catch that? I thought that was an interesting remark. I didn't catch that, but I I was listening or trying not. I don't want to listen, read into what Gudekunst is saying, but there were some. Sometimes when you're interviewing somebody, you will ask them a question and they'll start to answer saying what they want you to hear. And then as they talk, they'll say the thing they actually mean. And there were a couple instances like that. Bakhtiari was one. He was asked a question about Jordan Love. And we'll get, I'm sure we'll get to Jordan Love here in a second, but he was asked a question about Jordan Love and he was basically like, yeah, I, I don't think he's got anything to work on. We've got time to assess. I mean, obviously we could help him with the game planning better, but you know, we've got 10 games to look at him. And that like the game planning comment went like went off with bright lights here for me for a second, because if you say there's nothing for Jordan Love to work on, but bring up the game planning unprompted, I feel like you're kind of saying something there that, I... that the Bakhtiari thing kind of sounds the same way. Yeah, I I agree. Um, it's hard to listen to that Goot press conference and take away anything other than, I mean, he said it himself. He was like, nope, we got the young players. We expected them to play better. We expect them to play better moving forward. And it's like, this is everything we thought of of the situation, right? Where it's like, hey, this is an evaluation period, but and it's a rebuilding year. But if they're not building, then you probably have to start looking internally and saying like, hey, does the front office think that maybe the coaches aren't getting enough out of these guys in terms of their development? So what are the decisions you think Bakhtiari has to make? Are we talking retirement? Are we talking? I guess. I mean, that's the. So so there's two things, right? I would have to think it would either be retirement and or, I guess, um, potentially taking a pay cut to be willing to stay with the team. I think those are the only two real decisions that Bakhtiari can make moving forward that would impact mm-hmm. his situation, his standing with the Packers. So, What realistically could they do from a salary perspective? I, I haven't even really looked at that. <laughs> I mean, ask him to take a pay cut. That's really all that they can do. And Bakhtiari hasn't been a guy that's really been um, wanting to play ball. I guess mm. is is the way to play it, right? Um, if you look at kind of how the Packers have pushed cap hits forward, usually they do that with, uh, you know, void years and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Bakhtiari's not been a guy who's been willing to accept void years at the end of his contract. So now we have this, you know, giant bloated cap hit at the end of his deal. Um, I mean, maybe void years is another thing that he's potentially talking about in terms of, him having decisions to make because they're obviously going to have to do something and it's not like they can give him an extension without knowing what that need looks like moving forward. I wonder if you talk about void years here and converting bonuses and stuff like that. I wonder if this is a lesson learned for the Packers in terms of managing a relationship because prior to the 2021 season, Zedarius Smith got some money moved around and the big talking point at the time was they don't have to ask him to do that. And the reporting kind of, I don't think anybody ever came out and explicitly said it, but the reporting at the time seemed to be that that came as a surprise to Zadarius Smith, that they could just say, hey, we're going to do your contract like this. Yeah. Is is this an evolution for Brian Gutekunst? Because I think he does learn and change over time. He's not just been the same guy the whole time. So I don't know if Bakhtiari's contract has some sort of provision in it that would say, like, he needs to approve that type of thing. 
usually that's not normal. Um, but the fact that they haven't done that with Bach yet kind of makes me think that he has some sort of leverage there. Mm. Um, by the way, I, this is another hashtag sources, hashtag journalism, uh, thing. Zadarius Smith is like incredibly pissed at the, the people that he signed that contract with, um, in Green Bay, like the representation that he had, like, it it does not seem like he had a real good grasp of what that contract was going to end up meeting for him. So take that for kind of whatever it's worth. But he did get the captain chain. So he did. He did. Um, <laughs> and it yeah. glows in the dark. Remember? I forgot that it glows in the dark. I, I just remember the sketch. The sketch was the funniest part of it. Oh, that was the best part. Great times in pandemic football. This was a tweet that Adam Schefter sent out and then later deleted because it was obviously not what Goot said. Um, Packers general manager Brian Gutekunst is unsure if Jordan Love is the long-term future of the franchise via Rob Domofsky. Way to hang Domofsky out to dry because that is not what Domofsky wrote at all. The actual headline for that, um, for Domofsky's story on ESPN, was Packers GM, colon, uh, need more time to evaluate quarterback Jordan Love. That's basically what Goot said. Goot, I mean, they asked him basically like, you know, is Jordan Love your quarterback next year? If, if you know, you uh, do you need an evaluation year out of Jordan Love in 2024? And his response was basically like, we got 10 games left. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a classic Schefter tweet, too, in that it's technically true that Gutekunst is not sure if he thinks Love is going to be the guy going forward, he has completely accurate, plausible deniability there. Like, would you say that Gutekunst is sure? Well, no, but that's also not what he said. That's a very different right. thing. Right. Just did not match the the vibes of, of what Goot said. Um, and people take it. Oh, God. Well, I, I was. You, It's always fun to react to press conferences in real time. Right. We sit there and be like, oh, what does he mean by that? Sitting back from it later in the day and, and a little bit this morning, I don't know, for one thing, if he really said anything. And for another perspective, you know, what you really want him to say, uh, other than like, yeah, the coaches got to coach better and we need more from the young players. Like, but we knew that he, people really wanted to get mad about stuff going into this press conference. And I think kind of the really telling example of that was how many people asked you know, was this a locker room issue with Rasul Douglas? Because <laughs> it sure seemed like people wanted it to be. Emphatically, Goot and LaFleur were like, hell no. Rasul is a good locker room. Like, you want that guy in the locker room. Um, I, if you can't handle Rasul Douglas saying, hey, we suck when we suck, like, that's pretty mild criticism as far as criticism goes. Yeah, I mean, he was just basically like, we need a, the defense needs to hold opposing offenses to fewer points than our offense scores. But That's I guess to your, pretty benign <laughs> to your question. Like, I, I don't know if there are any, any big sweeping takeaways because he kind of said a lot of things that I, I think we're, we're really, really looking at from the outside and going, yeah, it's basically the size of it. We need more time on Jordan love. That seems pretty reasonable. I mean, he was going to get the whole season anyway. So no, we're not going to see Sean Clifford taking over. No. Um, the young players need to be better. Well, yeah, we all knew that. And then you know, it had, it's been kind of disappointing. I mean, he said, he said all the words that you ask him to say. So 
There it is. I think the most important thing from the good presser is that it shed a light on what the internal narrative is in Green Bay, right? Mm -hmm. It's that, you know, we expect more out of this offense. The offense isn't hitting the standard. Youth is no longer an excuse. You need to play better ball moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the piece that we needed um, to figure out the whole blame slash fault slash, you know, whatever you want to call it, right? Of if this doesn't work out this year, and it looks like this in the second half of the season, what happens moving forward? And I think the answer is they think they have the players. If the coaches can't get them up to a certain standard, I think that's where we're going to see the change. Um, You know, trading Russell to move up two rounds into the future shows a certain level of confidence in your job security and stuff, right? Do you think they have the players? No, but I'm also not seeing any sort of progress. Um, right. And not seeing any sort of progress and burning half a season is about as bad of a position as the Packers could have been in. So yeah. I understand it from that perspective. I also understand that just from uh, – don't don't – when people talk about coaching changes, you need to think about it from the perspective of the actual coaches coming in or of their representation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, this is something that I cannot stress enough, right? It's going to be easier for Green Bay to hire better positional coaches if they have a new head coach than if they have Matt LaFleur on a hot seat and he has to clean house of everyone other than him going into 2024, right? Just yeah. from a job security standpoint. And then from the Packers' perspective – you might be talking about a team that has one coaching staff in 2023 under the floor, right? If they sign a co- totally different coaching staff in 2024 and then can the floor then have to hire a third coaching staff in three years in 2025. And this isn't a team that likes to spend a whole ton of money on the coaching, you know, end of things. This is a team also that like, look at all the internal promotions that they've made, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a sign mm-hmm. that they're not, spending a whole ton of money, bringing a bunch of vets in. Look at them having a holdover in Mike Pettin, right? Yep. Um, yeah. As defensive coordinator. Like, I think it's more viable for the Packers moving forward where if this goes bad the second half of the season, there's just clean break. And we just say, hey, LaFleur, thank you for the time. You were the coach that we needed when we had Aaron Rodgers as quarterback and Devontae Adams out at wide receiver. This is a different job, and you know we we want to get new coaches in here to develop uh, this roster, and it's probably better um, for us to hire under a different head coach, and you know give them a little bit more of a runway. I think you said something important there that this is a different job. I think yeah. people lose sight of the business organizational development organizational growth type aspect of this of of football because it does come down like you say sometimes to being a multi-billion dollar mom and pop kind of organization but it still is you know you've got search firms you've got you know behind the scenes politics you've got all those things that go on in fortune 500 companies and these are still huge companies that you got to take into consideration it's not just football man play bad on sunday therefore fire the coach there's so many different developmental things that go on behind the scenes that 
are not uncommon in the business world. And maybe it's just that you got to think of Lafleur as like the hotshot consultant that came in to fix them during a, a particular moment in the business world. And now that moment has passed. So they got to bring somebody else in, but they can't do that right now because there's no sense in doing it right now. So we got to wait for Q1 of next year and then we'll make the change. It's there's more to it than just the football is bad. Make a change. The example I would point to, if you're looking for kind of like a best case scenario in terms of like right guy, wrong time. This is a new job. We need to hire a guy with a different skill set to fill in, you know, in that position. Look at the Philadelphia Eagles under Howard Roseman and look at all the different head coaches that they've gone through. I mean, does anyone think Andy Reid can't coach football games? I don't think anyone believes that he had a bad year and they said, Hey, it's not working anymore. We got to pull the plug. Thank you for your time. And uh, we're going to move to this guy named Chip Kelly, who came in guns blazing. I mean, they had Nick Foles playing at like, if you just look at him statistically, right, he was playing at an MVP level. And then yeah. all of Chip's stuff really starts to get assimilated into the league. You no longer have an edge. They say, okay, we got to we gotta switch this up. We'll go to Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson comes in with a new edge, which is, you know, RPOs and all that stuff. They say, okay, we do that. That gets assimilated to the league. Um, obviously him and Howie kind of have some sort of rift, which is not uncommon for Howie. I think he's the best general manager in football, but he hasn't necessarily played super nice with others. And then they say, Hey, okay, we're going to bring in uh Sirianni and Sirianni is just going to go and uh, kind of get us out of the rut. That was the uh, Carson Wentz contract and kind of build this team around, Jalen Hurts, and we have this young quarterback. Um, we're going to be able to spend money elsewhere at the end of it, and that's kind of where they're at right now. And he's kind of lasted through, what, four different head coaching regimes at this point. And I don't think any of those coaches are bumps, right? Like, I still think Chip, Chip is building UCLA into probably their most relevance since probably the 90s. Andy Reid has won Super Bowls with the Kansas City Chiefs. Doug Peterson's turned that thing around in Jacksonville, right? And Sirianni has that thing humming in Philadelphia, right? They look like they're probably going to go to the NFC Championship game at the very least um, for their second straight season. So it's not like firing a coach has to be an indictment on the coach and saying, like, this coach is not good enough to have one of the 32 jobs in the league. It's just situations are different, man, and, like, it happens. And you, I guess if you want to really underscore that point, look down a level – Throughout the NFL, look how many position coaches stick like throughout regimes. The they'll have guys who would just be a defensive line coach for twenty years, and they you know they churn out defensive linemen wherever they go. It's not that they're a bum; it's just that sometimes the timing doesn't work out. Sometimes politics end up getting a coaching staff fired. Sometimes your you know your quarterback's knee blows up and you suck for a year and a half, and then everybody gets canned because something completely out of your control and. You know, it, it's not always about the player or the person. Sometimes it's about the timing. And maybe maybe there's a situation here where the timing just has, has run its course for Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I think that's a conversation worth having. And this is kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't know if you have any more uh, points after this, but I actually looked up. There's a website that tracks NFL penalties, and it's called mm. NFLpenalties.com. Believe um, it or not. They, they they split it out in actually pretty cool ways. Um, ended up looking at it. Green Bay is first in the league 
in terms of penalty percentage. So accepted penalties against them at 4.8%. So that's like, you know, one out of every 20 plays, they're getting a penalty on them. Um, They're on pace for 7.4 penalties per game. That also leads the NFL. Um, In terms of yardage, they're fourth worst in the league. So yes, the Saints, Seahawks, and Cardinals do get more penalty yardage against them. It's about 61 yards per game. That's not great. If you look at specifically what type of penalties are killing them, it's false starts, it's offensive holding, it's delay of game. They all rank near the top, or they rank near the top of the league in all three of those stats. Um, The one thing that's kind of their saving grace in terms of the penalty stuff is that their opponents are actually uh, giving them more penalty yards than the Packers are giving up, and that is mostly because of DPI. So the Packers are number one in the league in terms of DPI called against their offense. Meanwhile, their defense uh, has only allowed 22 yards via DPI. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, this Packers team looks sloppy, right? And that's another thing that is kind of working against the coaching staff. It's not just that they're not performing. It's that it looks like guys don't know that what their assignments are sometimes. And there's so many just like pre-snap miscues and things like that. I think that's really working against the team too. The thing that bothers me about some of those penalties is you can't necessarily just talk them up to youth. Like the false start stuff just drives me crazy. Like you played football. I played football. Like what was the first thing you worked on as a junior high football player? Okay. We're going to get down in our three point stance. and We're going to wait for somebody to say the word go. And we're going to go all at the same time. Come on. Can we get the, the can we get the snap count right at the very least? But I could think to your overall point, like, the sloppiness is just inexcusable. And I think it, it reflects on every aspect, like the special teams penalties. Those are supposed to be better under Bisaccia and they haven't been. In fact, the only guy, you know, who the only guy to really make good on his promise to cut down special teams penalties has been been Sean Menenga. If you look back <laughs> over the years, he's the only guy who's ever reduced the number of penalties the Packers take on special teams. The thumb did one thing right during his time here, but like, yeah, just the the organizational stuff. That field goal against the Falcons, I feel that yeah. just comes back again and again. And I think there was actually a penalty two plays prior to that. I think on Rashid Walker too. That may have been a false start or a hold. But it penalties, just the sloppiness penalties, are taking the team apart. And if we're talking about um, just assignment football, right? The fact that this team's already had the bye week, they had the quote-unquote mini-bye because of the Thursday game, right? Um, they continuously talk about self-scouting, trying to steal stuff from around the league, all that stuff. Um, that opening script that the Packers are so bad at right now, right? I think Andy Herman had the stat where uh, the last 25 drives of offense, the Packers, in the first half of games, the Packers – have only been able to come away with nine points. And mm. the opposing defenses are actually scoring more than the Packers have on the offensive side. I mean, you'd legitimately have a, a have a better result if you just punted on first down in the first half of Packers games over the last 25 drives. That's insane. And that's supposed to be the stuff that you game plan for, right? That's supposed to be the best stuff. That's supposed to be the stuff you practice throughout the week because you knew that you were going to run it. And then you have the Packers running an RPO on the third play of the game and no one's running a route. And Jordan Love then has to do a scramble drill because he's looking to throw the ball 
and there's no one out there. And then you get an illegal man downfield on Rashid Walker because he thinks the ball is going to come out quick if the ball ever does come out because it's a package play, right? They have a run and then they have a pass on the on the perimeter. Like that's where the stuff. I mean, we all see it, right? And and yeah. Goot kind of confirmed it. Like that's that's what I think we should take away from kind of the Goot presser is like he sees it too, and they're not going to kind of settle. Um, you know, they're not going to bring down that standard just because it's a quote-unquote rebuild year. I think that's a good place to end because it touches on so many things with where this Packers team is right now. I mean, think back to 2020, and Lafleur was a script god. Like some of the stuff they came out, like that first yeah. the first week of the season against the Vikings, just boom, 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 down the field, exotic formations, motion, package plays, just stuff taking the Vikings apart. That was a veteran team. Aaron Rodgers at the peak of his late career powers. Devontae Adams as good as he ever was. Probably the best Alan Lazard season in 2020. Uh, Robert Tunyon playing his best football. Aaron Jones healthy. A.J. Dillon healthy. Three years later, they can't get out of the script without tripping over themselves on three drives in a row because they're young. The creativity doesn't seem to be there in, in quite the same way. And even the guys that have been here a while, guys that are in their second, third, fourth season are just not playing at the level that you would expect. It's, it's, you can blame coaching if you want. You can also point to the players. You can point at the development. It's just kind of a mess. Oh. Um, meanwhile, Matthew Stafford, dumb, hasn't practiced last two, last two days. We're recording this on a Thursday. Aaron Donald, he's pretty good. You guys are going to want to check him out for the game. John Meerdink, you can read him at Acme Packing Company. Um, you can listen to him, Blue 58 Podcast. Where can they find you on Twitter? Slash X, I guess, if we're calling it Just X. look up my name. I barely tweet anymore. I don't really know what it's for. I try to kind of tweet out weird stuff or just random stuff when I do have time. Um, just... The last thing I tweeted was just a picture of Rasul Douglas intercepting a pass in the end zone against the Arizona Cardinals. What a moment that was. It seems like a long, long time ago, doesn't it? So long. So long. Must win game for the Packers this weekend. Hopefully uh, they can execute. I mean, they're they're playing themselves as much as they're playing the Rams at this point. Go Pack Go.